On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. I'm too tired, Glenn, as it is. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether educators should join the new social media app, Clubhouse, debate whether teaching is still an appealing profession, give you some news about an epic educational partnership, and our guest this week is educator and author Heidi Williams. I actually hadn't read the intro yet. That was a pretty epic <laughs> play on words that you did there. I usually am not that clever, so that was that was it. That was a uh, a very easy one. <laughs> well done, Glenn. It's only been three years, and you you finally mastered the art of the intro. It's usually not very clever. <laughs> I just mix up the words discuss and debate, and I don't I don't know if we we do discuss. I don't know how we often don't we debate. debate. We don't debate. We very rarely disagree. That's true. Though we have disagreed on some things. We should we should recap. We should we should do Mike an episode where we find things that we disagree on and just true. have an angry, angry episode. That I don't would be, I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy I, that. I I don't know if it would be angry, but it would be funny. Oh, I'd be angry. <laughs> <laughs> we could have Noah be the uh you know, the moderator, the, the, the moderator, exactly. Keep our the uh, judge, the, yeah, the yeah. referee. <laughs> yeah, it'll be That's a debate. What he might need. You know, I think you could burn me in a debate, though. But a discussion we could have. Yes, we can yes. always, Glenn. I'll I will discuss things with you any <laughs> any time, but in particular once a week on Monday nights. <laughs> exactly. Yep, <laughs> is when our <laughs> true discussions take place. <laughs> it is. It is. You know. Uh, so what do you what do you been are you playing anything? Hey, you hit your highest rank ever in Hearthstone this week. Did I you not? Did. Yes, I am. I, I'm almost top one thousand legend, which means that there's only there would only be you know it seems like a it seems like a not that good of a number, but if you know. Hearthstone. No, no, no. If you are, are if you, you are saying in the top that you're 1, in the 000. top 1,000 Hearthstone players in North America? So there's in North a region. America? Yeah, there's a region in North America. You know, so there's a a server in North America. There's one in China. Yeah, um, that serves Asia, and there's a European one. So the um, the North American server is the one that I play on. I am I almost. Uh, got less than a thousand basically you start trying to go towards number one right so yeah. i believe that my highest rank was 1100 and something and i think i'm sitting just right in the middle of the thousands there so about 1500 uh, at the moment which is crazy insane to talk about my journey of i just was happy to make it to legend at one point it wasn't that long ago and then usually i sat around in the 10,000s as far as in legend <laughs> you know 10,000 yeah. rank and then now it's you know this is the the best ever so 
That's pretty good. Well, it, it's. I, I know. I I know that you enjoy the music streams that yeah, you've been yeah. doing, but I'm <laughs> telling you, you need to stop doing that immediately and stream Hearthstone. And I don't know why you're not putting your tight your rank. You need to put your rank. Yeah, in yeah. your stream titles okay it's getting to the point where you know so so listen people mm. watch twitch streamers for one of two reasons it's not mm. usually both yeah. you're either very entertaining yes true right or, like tim the tat like tim the yeah. tat man for example is incredibly entertaining yeah he's not a particularly good video game player yeah but he had 70,000 yes. people watching him play Fall Guys mm. because of how hilarious it was and how terrible he was at it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that yes. is why they were watching Tim. You know, or you have people who are very good yes. at playing Excellent a players. game. Uh, and and Ninja. there's there's yes. folks like Ninja mm -hmm. and Summit are, are two really good examples of folks that are very good yes. video game players that are, like... Uh, and I mean, to be honest, Ninja is kind of tailing off a little bit. Sure. Um, but see, but that's the thing is that as he's become less really good at at playing, because he's, he's not at to be fair, right? To be fair, he's yeah. not super entertaining. No. Like okay. his okay. thing was that he was very very good. Yes. Right. And yes. and he was top of the top of Fortnite mm -hmm. at, at various points. Right. Yes. Um, where Summit is like the closest I can think of to someone who's a little bit of both. He's pretty entertaining, yeah. um, and and he's he's very good, and, mm. and he can straddle between the two pretty easily. But anyways, yes. you are very like <laughs> like being one of the top one thousand Hearthstone play. That's a mm. thing. Sure. And no, yeah, it's ridiculous that that you're not like. <laughs> I will take that into, like, into consideration. To, dude, I, I mean, I don't want to be your stream coach or anything, but I'm telling you, you need but to you put are. your rank in, in the title of your stream, and you need okay. to go live as many just, nights as you can humanly possibly go okay. and, and play because you'll get, you know, you'll get an audience because you're very good at it. Like, I, you know... It's my stream yeah, coach. It's, well, you just coached me, me up. Give so me that's a good. Give me a cut. Give me a cut <laughs> of those. A I'm gonna give you a give commission. Give me a cut once of those sweet, yeah. sweet subs. Yes, exactly. Once we'll I start be, making, we'll be good. <laughs> what um, about you? So what have you been up to? It, uh, so I mean, to be fair, I'm not. I'm not playing. I'm not. I haven't streamed very much at all. Um, a combination of. So I have a new rule. Mm. So this is this is actually good. I have okay. a new rule. I'm one? not allowed to stream. I will not let myself stream unless I've closed my Apple Health rings for the for the day. Oh, so you know nice. what I mean by my rings, right? Yeah, like, like so your, your yeah your, your move steps. Your yeah. Mm -hmm. So I will not stream unless I've already closed my rings. So it, you know, there's been nights where I haven't closed them until eight o'clock, and I've thought about you know streaming, and I'm like no. Um, and and also like there's been nights where I've wanted to stream. But I also haven't closed my rings. Mm. So, you know, you, previous, yeah. well, Mike from three years ago would have streamed, mm. you know, but Mike now decides to get on the bike instead. So, <laughs> hey. So that's good. I'm, that's I'm, a good help. I'm working a, really hard. Yes. 
and and I'm um, I'm kind of back into a bit of a, a back into a bit of a groove. And you can Good. call Peloton a cult all you want. <laughs> I've never exercised more in my life, yeah, and harder than I'm exercising right now with it. Good like, ever, so, ever. Like even with the Zwift, and I was on a roll yeah. with Zwift, but I it, this is this is totally different um in in a bunch of different ways and i'm not going to be one of those like peloton psychopaths that that is like (laughs) but but i'm just i'm just telling you anecdotally yeah i've never exercised more than i'm exercising now hey that's that's awesome um, and so you know i i I don't know what it's translating i'm certainly not losing weight so whatever the hell that means you know weight is relative though that's what I always, that's what you have to remember too. Cause even when yeah. I was lift, when I was lifting and I was in really, really good shape, I was actually heavier than I ever was previously, but I was in a thousand times better shape. So as you Something start kind of going through it, you will lose more than fat. You, you will lose. Yeah. You will lose weight at, at, at a certain juncture. But as you start continuing to go ahead and gain muscle and stuff, you'll, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that as your measuring stick. Use all mm. your other things that you're talking about, which is fantastic and really good d- discipline too. With yeah, the trying to the, eat a little yes. bit better, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm still, still a sucker for like chicken wings, sure. but you know, um, I think gotta, uh, February and March have been a lot better than than previous months for ordering takeout and stuff like that. We've been pretty yeah. good with that. So well, part of a part of a package, and um, so so I guess. You know, I need to I need to get into a better habit of exercising in the mornings. Nice. Uh, or sometime during the day so that I can um, stream at night, Gym. which yep. I would still like to do. Um, awesome. So Good idea. Basement will be done tomorrow. Woo! So new office, all the exercise equipment's going down there. New big ass TV in the living room. It's going to be great. <laughs> Um, and, and then I'll, uh, uh, it'll, it'll be a nice place to exercise, which is exciting. So it was international women's day on Monday. Um, and it's funny, it's funny that, um, it's in the outline, uh, because, um, you know, I was actually thinking a lot about and reading a lot about the, um, the COVID relief bill that just passed the, the the house for the second time today actually mm-hmm. and i was thinking about a lot about that in context of international women's day not not just you know the idea that you know kamala harris is the vice president and 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 so you know and the government is is largely powered by the influence of of women mm-hmm. right now you know in particular you know nancy pelosi is the speaker of the house yes um and stuff like that but uh, you know the 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 bill um the law reminds me um you know that there is uh an incredible amount of challenge um still to overcome mm-hmm. just for being a woman um in 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 the united states and in the world um yes. and and so this hopefully goes to help that but uh yeah, there's 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 a lot of obstacles still to overcome, right? Yes. Yeah, and and that's the thing we can. It just like uh, reminds me of any time you 
bring up a specific group and you're celebrating them, you also have to bring to light that though you've made movement in a positive direction, specifically here with women, this still a long ways to go. Um, family medical leave in the United States is just freaking terrible. Um, mm-hmm. And especially re- specifically related to um, the teaching profession, which is mostly women. Um, the way that women have to just kind of maneuver their way around this specific law with the amount of time that they actually get off. Um, plus, um, they don't, they have to accumulate basically, uh, numbers of days off in order to get those days paid. And then eventually they take unpaid leave, uh, for a period of time, unless they exactly time out, the 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 birth of their kid so that they can sort of hit some part of the summer and then have to go back and basically women as i was discussing this with uh, my wife nicole they can't win in any of these types of things in other words you you're you want to raise a family as nicole did and she actually took some time off to to raise our kids um, when they were little and so if you look at her resume it's like sporadic and it doesn't look like she's been consistently working at places because she hasn't because she raised our kids, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal to have that, have had that opportunity to do that. But now when she comes back into the workforce, if you just looked at it, you know, you just looked at a resume, you'd be like, what's wrong with this person? And unfortunately that happens a lot to women. They, they raise, they help to basically, uh, raise their kids and then they try to come back to the workforce and then there is this thing where we're like ah, yeah you don't have any current experience or blah 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 and so th- that's just terrible i hate that that that's the case or the opposite where again where they can't win is they decide to make the decision to put their kids into daycare which is a hundred percent like yeah go ahead and do that if you if you choose to do that but that's still a lot of people judge you on that end too. Sure they do. <laughs> if, you, if you have your kid in daycare and then you yeah. go back to work. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Family medical leave still needs to be uh, improved drastically in the United States. Pay is still not where it should be. It's still not equal to men and hiring practices are still not there. Um, and so though I celebrate all of the amazing women, all the of our colleagues all of our friends and obviously our relatives our moms and our sisters and and so on and so forth our wives i want to make sure we bring to light too that there's still a lot of work to be done uh, to make them at least equal to us and we know Mm -hmm. that they are amazing that we without them we would suck mike me and you (laughs) it would be we'd be in shambles so without our wives without our wives without our moms my God. Yeah. So yeah, that would not be a good world of men. <laughs> no, that would not be a good thing. Um, no, so anyway, no. happy international women's day to all of you. Amazing listeners, uh, you women out there, uh, our family members, and we will continue, you know, to strive to move forward and, and to make things equitable for you too. Absolutely. Um, do you, are you on club? You're on Clubhouse, aren't you? Yes, I got an invite. I can't remember from who. It might have I, been. Did I give it to you? 
maybe it was you. I don't oh. know who it was, but someone said, someone sent me an email and it said, you've been invited to Clubhouse. And I'm like, okay. I'm already so off the bandwagon. <laughs> I clicked it. I joined it, but I didn't even know what it was. You know? Yeah. And you, and were, I you were off it. the bandwagon quicker than I was. I looked at it and I started looking at the things and I'm like, oh, it's like a, it's like a group chat. You know what it reminds like me Bo- of is, is back Boxer. in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Voxer. Yeah. 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 Uh, it is Voxer. Kind of. Kind of like it? it's it's exactly like Voxer. Yeah. It's voice hmm. it's voice chats, but I mean voice chat. The the thing with Voxer is that it's kinda of like a walkie talkie. Yeah. And it's you know it is that but you can still have rooms and stuff like that, like this. But Clubhouse is more like more Live. like if you wanted to do like like separated into room like um yeah, yeah. little sessions. Okay, okay. Um and then have audiences. It's it's like yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're super smart about the way that they've um, created the hype about it with the invites. You know, not everybody gets yeah. in unless oh, you're invited. Scarcity, right? Yeah. You know, but we're going to make sure we link the article that Carl Hooker uh, posted on Twitter when we were having <laughs> yeah. this discussion about this. Because if you read this article, I'm sure a lot of social media companies are doing this. But this one in particular, we know exactly what they're doing as far as privacy is concerned. And a couple of things that were brought to light that I was like, oh, man, one of the things that you do when you join the club of Clubhouse (laughs) is you allow them to take uh, to go into your contacts list and they do it on on behalf of you so that you can then send out invites to your friends who aren't in the club yet. But in those contexts, they take all the contact information, including, you know, the, 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 the phone numbers and the emails of all of your contacts inside of your phone, of your contact list, which, again, probably many tech companies are doing this, but you got to read this article and, and kind of go through it and go, hmm, when you accept the terms and agreements of this company, they're taking as much as they possibly can from you and they can use all of those things because you've given them permission to go ahead and do that. So it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I'm not, it reminded me, Mike, of we grew up uh, in the 90s and there was this new technology. Now we're dating ourselves here, but we had landline phones and then the telephone companies, you could pay a little bit of extra money. And we didn't have this, but some of my friends were like, they, they could afford this extra $3 a month or whatever it was. And you could do party lines. Remember this, Mike? Okay. Where, where you, would call, you could call your friends and then you could click a button and you could call, you could have multiple friends on all at the same time. Yeah. And be talking on the phone, on a landline phone all together. Yeah. And that was, if you had that and you had all your friends, you were like, ooh, look at us, you know, kind of that thing. Same concept. Cool, the cool kids, <laughs> Same concept, except the year is 2021 instead of 1991 or two, yeah, whatever the that is. Digital that party came line. Up. Yes. That's yes. what Clubhouse is. Clubhouse, Clubhouse is the digital party line. <laughs> so I'm not sure Basically about it just... as far as education is concerned, but, you know, yeah, we're kind of over it already, too, me and you. <laughs> I, I don't have the energy. Uh, someone asked me, and I, I said, I don't have the energy for another social network. I just. Like, I don't have Voxer on my phone now either. I just don't have the... I didn't have the energy to keep up. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Twitter's releasing a... Basically, a Clubhouse competitor already. The, there's people mm. who have access to it. I think it's called really? Rooms. 
Mm. Um, and there's people I didn't that know have this. it. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a clubhouse competitor that's going to be it's built on right, and it'll be on Twitter where I already have almost. You know, you have like whatever thirteen thousand followers, and I got I got almost ten. I mean, why would I go and try to build no a following on another <laughs> social network or or whatever when I can just use the one where I have lots of followers already? Agreed. It's just I don't have that. I'm I'm too tired, Glenn. As it is, <laughs> I'm too tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, to deal with it, I agree. So with I'm you. not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm I'm boy. I'm boycotting. I'm getting angrier the longer we've talking about it. I'm boycotting Clubhouse. Good boycott Good. Clubhouse. <laughs> Good. Uh, there was an article in Ed Surge. Uh, yes. Is teaching still an appealing profession? A growing teacher shortage worries experts. This I I didn't I hadn't read the article yet. Um, the title's a little little triggering. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say it's pretty regional, I would say, but I I would also say that there is definitely in Southern Ontario, there's definitely a supply teacher shortage, a a substitute teacher shortage. Really? um, Where people don't want to, like, like if you wanted a full-time teaching job this year, you'd have one already. Like, Mm. like you'd be teaching right now because uh, so many people retired and, and whatever, People were yes. like, you know, screw this, especially the folks that were ready to retire. A yeah, lot of yeah. people have taken like early retirement and stuff like that. Um, but in like like we've talked about this a bunch of times, especially yes. early on in the history of the podcast. We talked about this a lot, but yeah. you don't generally you don't leave teaching in Ontario. Like, yeah, you, you know, a, you a teacher it. with 10 years teaching experience in southern Ontario makes a hundred and I think Cheryl made one hundred and two thousand dollars um last year yeah that's, that's um, significant right yes. so and you have a pe- a full pension when you retire yeah that's amazing so like teachers don't leave generally don't quit um yeah. teaching in southern ontario in yeah. in canada it's pretty pretty across the board that's kind of like the salary structure so you know if you um, but it's also really hard to get a job sure right um yes. it's, it's super hard to get a teaching job in ontario so so it's um, way different than here that's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> like where, like our friend, our friend Becky, um, yeah. you know, working in Florida, making like a third of yeah. what Cheryl made, if that, you know, and having being forced to go in person, like, are you kidding me? Mm. Like that you're putting your life at risk for like a, basically a part-time job salary. Yeah. Or like a, entry level like if you've been teaching 10 years do you really deserve to only make thirty five thousand dollars a year like that's that's insanity to me that's that's a lot of states that's why teachers are leaving yes yeah it's hard i mean it's what it says is it still an appealing profession um i would say no (laughs) um and we've talked about this before i've actually not at that income level I, 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 there's a lot of problems with it. Uh, people, you know, it, it, in the article, it describes that, uh, not only are, is the pay not adequate, the benefits aren't adequate anymore. They used to be that teaching in the United States, the best part of being a teacher was maybe you didn't get paid 
super optimal optimally but your benefits were great so you had great retirement benefits you were able to go ahead and have full insurance you know that basically covered all of the things that you needed to go ahead and cover that doesn't exist uh as it did as it once did um and pay has hasn't increased to account for you know, uh, cost of living and, and what has happened as far as um, in the United States, as far as how much it costs to actually uh, live. And the, the final thing here is just talking about lack of support or, and we've talked about it too on the show as far as professional development um, and helping the profession grow itself and helping, uh, you know, yeah. like you talk about all the time, having mentors, um, having support structures there in place to make sure that a teacher has the opportunity um, to become the best teacher they can possibly become and having the infrastructure in place to go ahead and have that happen. Across the board, I would say that's not happening. So many people, as you said too, Mike, that's they're just exploring other avenues. They're like, I can if I graduate and I already am, am doing this college degree, I can go into the private sector and earn twice as much money or three times as much money or whatever else it might be. Mm-hmm. Plus it's a great job and I have, you know, all of these things I have good uh, support structures in place, good benefits. Why wouldn't I go seek those things out? We hope that you those things do change. You have to want to teach. Yes. You have oh, to yeah. want to teach now. For sure. Like it's different. Like where I'm not sure. I'm again, I'm not certain that that's the case in Ontario. Um, like, like sure. a lot of people choose teaching because it has all of those things that you were saying. It's got a mm. great benefits package. It's got a, a really great salary. It's got, you know, pretty, pretty rewarding work situation. Yes. It's got, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of these uh, cool benefits and, and the, the pension at the end. I, I mean, so, so you can go through a teaching career you know, and for the better part of like 35, 40 years of that career and be making a hundred thousand dollars or more a year, which anyone can live on and, and be, feel pretty satisfied that you've made the right choice. For now, that sure. being said, if you're, if you're smart and, and, and articulate and did well at school and, and you live in Florida, for example, and you're faced with choice. You know, yeah. I don't know why you would choose teaching. Mm. I, I don't like you could be anything else in the world. It's, um, you know, I used to I remember an article back probably seven or eight years ago. It was maybe even 10 years ago. It was in, it was in the heyday of the UFC when the UFC was like, sure, the biggest thing in the world. Right. Um, and but it's always stuck with me because it's a it was an article about um um a specific fighter who was um a world class athlete in in a number of different sports mm. i think in this case it was like baseball and and basketball yet chose to focus his professional athletic career in the ufc because again when faced with choice yeah you know, someone who was equally capable of being anything that they wanted to be in athletics, like this, this kid could have pivoted and probably been a world-class football player mm. too, right? Chose the UFC because of the income potential mm. um, of, of the, the career that he could have had um, as a, as a fighter, 
as opposed to being a basketball player or a baseball player. And I thought that that was super interesting. I don't know how that panned out for that that specific person. Mm. <clears throat> Possibly not well. I mean, the UFC <laughs> isn't what it used to be. It's brutal, too. As but far that as... <laughs> being said, baseball isn't necessarily what it used to be true, either. True, true, yeah. um, <laughs> But But it was a great article about choice and about the free market and about what capable people are are able to do when faced with options Mm. and that that you are unless you want to be a teacher people are choosing something else yeah because they're feeling more respected they're feeling um more rewarded they're feeling more you know um you know financially um taken care of or compensated fairly um, they're looked at in a more favorable light in the public, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, they have choices and they're making them, and it's and it's not good um, yeah. in a lot of cases. And and so, you know, we'll link the article in the yes, show for notes. Sure. But it's definitely some food for thought. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have an we epic wanted... uh, announcement. The epic. <laughs> The epic announcement. <laughs> so um, uh, by the time you're listening to this, there will have been a press release. Uh, we're the cool kids. We know this in advance. Uh, when we're talking right now, no one in the world knows about this except Woo! for um, a few people. But it's funny that I sent Steve Isaacs a message and said, I know everything. <laughs> I what know I told it. Him. <laughs> He's like, I what said, do you I, know? So I know everything. He said, what do you know? And I said, I know about the Epic Games partnership with Games for Change. And he's like, how do you know about that? We haven't announced it yet. And I said, Steve, I know everything. <laughs> so big announcement. Yeah. Epic Games is partnering with Games for Change to um, deliver a whole bunch of workshop content related to Fortnite, Twin mm. Motion, and Unreal Engine. Um, there's going to be a ton of half-day workshops for Fortnite Creative, where teachers can learn how to use Fortnite Creative. Um, and it'll be hands-on. Great way to start Love educators this. on the road to using Fortnite, potentially in the classroom, both in-person or virtually. There will be a kind of a, you can level up, to a next level of these Fortnite creative workshops where you can dig a little bit deeper into some of the functionality. And then a teach with Unreal Engine uh, workshop as well, where if you want to learn how to use Unreal Engine for uh, teaching in your classroom, for creating, um, you know, or or making video games or whatever you want to use Love Unreal this. Engine for, because. To be honest, it's used in a ton of different industries. Yes. Not just in video games. Um, you know, there's going to be tons and tons of content for you. If you're an educator and you're looking to learn more about um, any of these tools, this is going to be for you. Yeah. So we're really excited to share that announcement. It's fantastic. Uh, and you should go to Games for Change to learn more. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I, I actually challenge you all to send Steve Isaacs a DM. All of you, <laughs> do it. DM Steve Isaacs. <laughs> Mike says to DM you about the games for change thing. <laughs> the all one thing you. I wanted to, 
also share, Mike, is people yeah. hear Fortnite, they hear Unreal Engine, they probably don't even know what that that means. And like you just described, it's not only used for the creation of video games. My brother works in basically the uh, commercial and movie making industry. Mm-hmm. And he said that if a student comes out with the knowledge of how to use uh, a program like the Unreal Engine, that they can make an easy transition to the stuff that they are teaching and those things that they actually use to be able to make all of your 3D animation, both movies and all of the different commercials. And that's a huge industry. It's not it's not like specific, you know, like one little thing here where it used to be like, oh, you work in the movies. Like, no, this is a huge industry with lots of potential for great jobs uh, to travel around the world. Um, and and a variety of different aspects too. So it, it's not specific to games. This is no. basically learning how to go ahead and work with three-dimensional objects and to be able to use them in a variety of different platforms, whether it be for video or for actual, you know, the creation of games or other simulations. So it's super I, awesome. I can give you another one. This one's cool. Yeah. You'll like this. So my, uh, I have a friend who is the head of IT for a luxury car dealership mm. in in Southern Ontario. And they sell, uh, among other luxury cars, one of the brands they sell is McLaren. Ooh, um, yeah. Which is, you know, very wow. expensive. You mm-hmm. know, the, the cheapest McLaren is probably three or $400,000. Yeah. So, so uh, they sell McLarens. And when you go to buy a McLaren... Um, they take you into a room and this is the McLaren purchasing room and it's a theater. (laughs) It's a theater with like um, lounge seats Mm -hmm. and you sit in this theater and the the wall is obviously a screen and um, the sales rep is with you and they have a computer Mm. and you build your McLaren in real time piece by piece like trim by trim and it's all visualized on the screen for you in 3d so you can zoom in you can go and sit in the cockpit you can go in the passenger side you can look around it it's 360 it's it's ar too i believe and and it, it can like 3d it can pop out so you can walk around and look at it and that is all powered by Unreal Engine. I know for Very a fact cool. that that entire McLaren building program is powered in Unreal Engine. So this is not a video game. No. It's not a film or a television. No. It is a it is the automotive industry, you know, creating a a, a really cool tool to build a a high-end car and creating a high-end experience to do that. Um, oh, it's wild. It. Uh, when my friend told me about that, cause I was telling him that I was doing work with Epic games. This was, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he said, dude, let me tell you about this thing that's powered by unreal engine. That's just, <laughs> you know, I had to set it all up cause he's the head of it. So he had yeah. to like install it all. Um, How it was awesome. wild. So anyways, yeah. there's, yes. there's tons of potential in the world for these kind of tools and these kind of skills. And we'd encourage you to check it out. If you're interested in learning more, but more importantly, getting your students to learn about this stuff um, so that they can explore the possibility of what using a tool like this would look like. Mm. So that is 
pretty exciting stuff. Stick with us. When we come back, we'll be talking to Heidi Williams. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom. With our students, and as a collective, to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is a passionate coding and computational thinking advocate with over 30 years of experience in education. She has served as a language, science, and mathematics teacher for grades 6 to 8, and she's held roles as a differentiation specialist, technology integration specialist, instructional coach, gifted and talented coordinator, elementary principal, and a K-8 director of curriculum. She is a well-traveled speaker and the author of No Fear Coding, Computational Thinking Across the K-5 Curriculum, which has recently been re-released in its second edition. Welcome to the podcast, Heidi Williams. Thank you so much, Mike. I am so happy to be here. So Heidi, um, for our audience members that don't know you, uh, can you give us an introduction? I mean, Mike, uh, let us know that you have a broad range of experiences. Even off air, we were just speaking, and I didn't know that uh, some of the experiences that you have, which are just amazing. Uh, give us, our audience, a little bit of introduction to you. Oh, thanks, Glenn. Um, yeah, so I've spent uh, 30 years in the public education sector and had a variety of different roles. Um, the vast majority of my career was as a classroom teacher. I spent 14 years as a classroom teacher, so and then I did another six years of instructional coaching. So the last 10 years was spent, you know, moving up into the administrative level. But everything from a uh, school who had a very high uh, gifted and talented uh, population to uh, another school where we had native uh, Spanish speakers, and so it was bilingual and bilingual strategies. Um, but the one common thread with engagement, no matter where it was at, was infusing some type of technology education. Um, and not to date myself, but, you know, I started my classroom before the Internet existed. So uh, we <laughs> used awesome. the old CD-ROMs, you know, when those came mm -hmm. out uh, for Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've just – I've always enjoyed technology and especially with the computer science and coding and getting physical computing devices and computational thinking into the mindset of students and teachers. So Heidi, this is the second edition of the book, No Fear Coding. Um, so writing a first edition is an accomplishment in itself, but writing a second edition means there must have been a great demand for more of what you've been sharing. So what have you learned in the time between the two books? Well, resources change really quickly um, in technology and technology education, which is why education has to start moving at a little bit faster of a pace. 
also uh, a lot of the code.org resources that were listed in the book, uh, the courses had changed significantly. Um, mm. So when I did the rewrite of it, I made sure to stay, stay more generic that no matter how they morphed or changed or, or you know, improved their resources, because they have a lot of uh, variety in a solid K-12 uh, bank of resources that uh, I updated it so that any teacher could use it, hopefully moving forward with a little bit more longevity. So I did learn a lot about just authoring and the process and how quickly it changes and how we need to write in order to be able to, to support educators through their learning and through their professional development. It's funny, those code.org curriculums, because I, I, I was a computer science teacher, um, if you didn't know. So so um, Glenn actually, um, you know, was texting me earlier in the week and he's like, dude, this is your book. <laughs> he was like, because like, <laughs> I, I taught I, I taught this stuff um, and taught teachers how to do a lot of yes. this stuff as well. So we'd we'd have a lot to talk about if you did. We were talking off air about meeting up at at Impact um, next time it's in person, and we'd have a lot to 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 talk about. But um, you know, one of the funny things that I always remember is uh, you know, thank God Code.org tended to change their their product, their curriculum in the summer. So that, you know, it didn't change in the mid-year because I was always using it and, like, knee-deep in it with, like... Because I taught um, I taught grade 2 all the way to grade 8. Um, and But I do remember one year, which is really... It just reminded me of this story. I remember one year where they changed the entire numbering system. It was probably, like, 2016, maybe 2017, somewhere around there. They changed the entire nomenclature for the way that they like ordered everything. And so I had to like reorg and it's like, I, I have to go back to class, start teaching in a week and a half. Uh, cause we, we, we got back to school and I started looking at it and I'm like, Oh my God, I got to renumber all of this stuff. It was, it was hilarious. So you're right though. Um, things, things change dramatically. Um, and you know, one of the things that also, you know, you, you've reminded me of is this, like I taught, I taught game design. I used scratch to teach kids how to make games, but you know, in 2015, 2016 scratch was like really one of the only games in town for teaching, you know, especially elementary, you know, game design and coding. And now there's like tons of tools there's not just scratch there's um there's the sandbox there's core there's even like there's content now for teaching like unity and epic uh unreal engine and i mean they're just about to put they're gonna introduce um uh unreal engine coding in Fortnite soon so i mean there's tons of tools how do you how do you keep up i i have some ideas on on how you do it but i'd i'd be interested in in learning a little bit about what your kind of your either daily or weekly kind of practices for keeping up just with what's going on out there all the time yeah well i first of all i have to admit Mike, that I am a Mitch Resnick groupie. Um, the first opportunity I had to oh, actually so am meet I. Mitch so Resnick. Don't, don't get me wrong. So am I. I'm a, like, I stand Mitch Resnick so, so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but as far as like keeping up, I really rely on educators, you know, because they're the ones in the front lines in the classrooms. And so 
part of my work through Marquette University is as a, as a computer science curriculum specialist. So I'm constantly talking to educators and working with educators. So I'm always asking, well, what are you using and how are you using it and how is it standing up? And so it's making the connections with the people actually in the classroom um, because I do have a lot of those connections because I spent so many years there. And then uh, like webinars, I do a ton of webinars. I would say on a, a weekly basis, I probably watch at least five webinars. I try to limit it to one a day because there's so much great information out there. Uh, but I do spend, you know, being retired now and kind of doing what I love and what I want. I have time to sit down and watch that one hour webinar while I'm on my exercise bike doing my pedaling, especially That's during awesome. COVID. Sure. Right. Um, so you mentioned it pretty early on in the book um, and you encourage your readers to model risk taking and to be comfortable with the idea that they may pick up coding that their students may pick up coding quicker than you, the teacher. Um, why do you think it is that teachers are the ones who fear coding and not the students? And what do you think teachers should be doing to overcome this fear, whether it's irrational or, or not? What do you, what do you, what would you suggest um, some tools or ideas to, to overcome this fear of coding that teachers tend to have? I think one thing is just starting to understand why the fear exists. So when I look at my educational background, I went to college to learn content. Um, you know, my license was in 1.8, and I was taught how to do content. So you knew all the answers. You held all the answers because there was no Internet to rely on. So you have a lot of educators that are getting toward the end of their careers who kind of feel lost because now all of a sudden you're asking me to do this risk-taking when before I had all the answers, and, you know, that's ingrained in me. So I, I think that that wall comes up, one, because of that, for the people that have been trained in that mentality and that modality. I think our, our younger teachers are a little bit more open for that risk-taking because, you know, if it doesn't work and they do something with technology and it doesn't work, they got to keep at it until it does work, until they figure out how to do it, because there's nobody else there to show them how to do it. Because if they ask mom or dad, mom or dad's like, I don't know. Uh, so, they, you know, <laughs> they keep plugging away at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I think that's a lot of it is understanding the fear, recognizing that it's there for a reason. And, and then how do you deal with that and move forward? Because I can remember in my own practice, I first started with Scratch back in 2010, 2010 and uh, I'm like, okay, well, let's design games. And I had no idea what I was doing. We just got on to Scratch, and we figured it out together as a class, and somebody would raise their hand and said, well, how do you do this? I said, I don't know. Has anybody else figured it out yet? And somebody else would say, yeah, well, I got it. And so we'd all crowd around that kid's screen and and, and watch how they did it. And it really is a sense of empowerment. It's the empowered learner that ISTU talks about a lot. It really empowers students to be able to take ownership of their learning and show that, you know, we're a community of learners. And so it's really reshaping our classroom as a community of learners and not always the teacher holding the key to all the information because they don't have to anymore. Funny, I'm looking at your 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 background behind you, and and I see you have a, a at least I'm looking at a Sphero RVR, I think, and and there's a drone there, and I'm wondering how many robots do you have? 
Oh, lots. Yeah. These are my favorite. <laughs> I, well, I know they can't see me because I'm on the thing, but yeah, I've got cl- classroom drones. The drones for the classrooms are so much fun because the first thing that the students learn and I had to teach and I learned this again by myself, right? Talk about being a risk taker. Take a classroom with uh, 10 drones flying around in it and we did not program the kill switch first. I learned really quickly through mistake and trial and error. The first thing we're going to program from now on is the kill switch so that it will mm. drop if we need it to drop. <laughs> but yeah, That's I've it. got yeah, B-Bots. I've got the Merge Cube. I've got uh, Adafruit, Ozobots. Yeah, lots, yeah. Of, lots of robots. You, you, it, looks like, it looks like I have a shelf. It's actually right above my head there, and there's... Uh, there's one of the DJI drones, and I've got some Matata Lab up there, and uh, we have a couple of Dash and Dots in the house, so we got all the all the robots. I, I find that um, you know our um, Glenn I's mutual friend Becky Latov, she has a whole backdrop of robots as well, and I I, I love th- these are my people, the people that you know have all of these things just in their house because they want to. Um, it, it's it's. You know, because they love it and it's not, you know, um, it's easy when your work is something that you you really love to do, like, you know, playing with robots and teaching people how to to use them, right? Yeah, I'm really excited because this next week I get to play with a global chess challenge. So uh, I'm part of a group volunteering my time to set up this global chess challenge where a school in the United States could play a school in Canada and you're actually moving um, chess pieces virtually through QR codes and through like coding. So you have to code your chess pieces and it's done in a team atmosphere where it's a team of four students against another team of four students, but you have to, yeah, you could, you have to design them. If a school wanted to, they could even print out their chess pieces on a 3D printer if they wanted to. Mm. So it, it's been really exciting designing this. So, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So Heidi, you probably well, I mean, you obviously wrote the first edition of this, you know, a while ago. And I'm sure that you wrote a lot of or had been working on a lot of the second edition, you know, even probably prior to COVID. Um, And a lot of the updates probably happened outside of the context of the pandemic, Um, mostly because, you know, a a pandemic isn't particularly well, hopefully not anyways, hopefully not evergreen material, right, for a book that is going to be printed and sold, um, you know, uh, for a long period of time. That being said, I imagine some educators might still be looking, you know, looking at those dashes, looking at those B-bots, um, sitting on the shelves in the library or in their classroom, um, you know, if they're back in person and wondering if it's safe to use them um, and to kind of work with them with students and sh- even share them and uh i've been asked this myself um generally i guess my my advice to people who have asked me is that i thought it might be a especially early on when you didn't know a lot about what was going on and the you know how the pandemic was transmitted and stuff like that that it would be a pretty stressful experience in an already stressful environment to have to be worried about transmitting covid via sharing a dash with one kid to another i'm curious 
um, how you've advised educators to handle or not handle, if if that's the case, um, physical robots in the classroom during the pandemic? Well, I think the one thing the pandemic has really taught all of us is about just cleanliness and hygiene and um, <laughs> take it. Take your cell phone, for example. I mean, our cell phones have tons of germs on them, and I find myself cleaning my cell phone much more often. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to. You know, we're not going to take the kids' cell phones away, and they're constantly going to be sharing them and taking pictures and doing all the other things they do with them. So I think it's a matter of just making sure that schools make good choices for what robots the students are using and make sure that they are ones that can be easily, easily cleaned um, and cleaned. Cleaning them, cleaning them in between, you know, to get those Clorox wipes off if you can find them on the shelves, which yeah, I was going to say, it's a lot of Clorox wipes <laughs> if you're, if you're going to be cleaning dashes every time one kid moves it from one to the other. Seems like a lot of work. You'd have to be really dedicated to using robots in your class to, yeah. to want to use them right now. But I mean, they're also but huge investments, right? Yeah, but and here's the other thing that we need to think about. So my daughter's a high school athlete, and she's with her gymnastics team all the time. The gymnastics equipment does not get changed with kids from the same school. It only right. gets changed and cleaned when they switch schools. So that balance mm. beam is being touched by point. all of the kids from the same school. So, I, you know, yes, we have to be vigilant with what we're doing with COVID, but I also think that if our athletes can all be touching the same equipment, a classroom of students who are together all the time could all be touching the robots, not to say they shouldn't be clean that night, but I don't think we need to clean in between each one because we're not doing that for any of the athletic events that are going on right now either. True. Um, Heidi, a chapter in the book describes how coding and computational thinking fit into just like the general curriculum. Um, and it got me thinking because we started high stakes testing here in Minnesota, actually this week. And I listened to teachers in my district and even just teachers on, um, you know, on Twitter and social media describe what a nightmare it is to find time just to teach things like science and social studies at, I'm talking about the elementary level. Uh, because they're not part of those huge outcomes that are being tested on these high stakes tests. Um, so how do we address that time factor? And are there ways of embedding coding into content areas such as math and science? And I'm imagining so because I was looking at the, at the book and how you were how you discussed that. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so in literacy is another huge area where you can literacy. embed them, right? Yeah, right now I'm working with a K3 and K4 teacher who have uh, B-bots in their classroom and they have an alphabet mat. And so mm -hmm. what they've done is they've had, they have a station that the students go to and they rotate through the B-bot station where they're given activity cards where they have to move the B-bot from letter R to letter T or letter S to letter Q. So they're, you know, getting their early literacy uh, you know, site identification for those beginning letters down. Um, when we talk about mathematics and we talk about numeracy, one of the hardest skills for students to understand is one-to-one -one correspondence. When you program that BBOT, you can literally see the student's one-to-one -one correspondence because you'll see a student point to the square and program an arrow and point to the next square and program an arrow and point to the next square and program an arrow. So they're doing the one-to-one -one correspondence that you can see. 
Um, I've also seen in, in a classroom where they use the BBOTS as an intervention for students who are struggling with the concept of intervals in third and fourth grade. They put a number line out, and when they program the BBOT to move one command forward, it moved so many steps. And they made that an interval. And so they, they made the BBOT move three intervals. And through the practice with the BBOTs and the understanding of intervals, because they could touch it, see it, and do it, they finally get to get that, they finally got the concept rather than just the pen and paper where we would take our finger and kind of like move a little arc from one interval to the next mm. interval. Um, so I've seen it done all kinds of ways. You know, with Dash and Dot especially, there are so many different things where students can dress robots up as historical characters or they can act out a storyline for literacy. Um, yeah, it, it, it's amazing the way educators all across the world are integrating coding into that K-5 curriculum. The hard part is really that scope and sequence. So while we have individual teachers who are doing this work, now, how do we as a district get the scope and sequence to make sure that all the concepts are being covered and it's being done equi equitably for that, you know, CS for all, so that all students are experiencing it? I had a, uh, I, I did a teacher training with Dashes once where they, um, they, they did a Star Wars story and they recorded their voices, you know, into the, into the, into the Dash so that they could, you know, they had a couple dashes so they played the role of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and they made like sounds and they they taped little lightsabers to the uh, markers but they pretended they were lightsabers taped lightsabers to the dash so that it had a it had a, a lightsaber and then they like programmed it to like do a little sword fight <laughs> like you can do any you can do anything with these things you just um, one of the things that I always tried to remind people is that there's not really many limits to this. You can, you can do almost anything. You just have to, ha you know, have the imagination or at least the, the knowledge of where to go for resources. And I guess that's what your book helps with, right? Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. I've really been humbled with all the educators that have come up to me and said that they've really enjoyed my book and it really helped their district move forward with beginning to integrate the CS. Because one of my premises has always been you cannot ask an elementary teacher to do one more thing. Um, they just can't. They don't have the capacity to add any more instructional minutes in there. We need to embed it and make what they have to teach more engaging. As a matter of fact, my daughter, uh, she's a second-year teacher this year. She started her first year with COVID, um, and I spent many hours on the phone with her, uh, helping her through her first year. And even now in her second year, she has been frustrated somewhat with some behaviors that she's seeing in her classroom because she's like, Mom, the curriculum is just not that engaging. Like, there's so many more fun things that we could be doing. It's like, mm. why can't we make learning fun? Like, let's, let's make it fun. Let's include the robots in their learning and it'll be more fun. Yes, I love that. Heidi, how can teachers connect with you online and be able to go ahead and uh, lead us to where we can purchase your new book? Sure. So uh, my book is for sale in the ISTE bookstore, so the International Standards and Technology Education, um, ISTE.org. It's in the bookstore there. They can also find it on Amazon. Um, I also have a website that does support the activities in the book called nofearcoding.org. So that's really easy to find it there. If districts want to make larger purchases, um, they can always contact me as well. I do free author 
um, talks if a district purchases them for a book study. Um, so I've already done quite a few of those. So I just volunteer my time to do that. Um, kind of kick them off. I've done kickoffs with educators as they started their professional learning journey um, in implementing and integrating computer science into the elementary curriculum. That's awesome. Heidi Williams, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at uneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening, stay awesome, and see you soon.